Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as personalized recommendations or fiduciary advice. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for any investment, accounting, legal, and tax advice or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Brent Foster. This is April 18th. This is the 38th week of the Northbound Wealth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Lower inflation lifts spirits in uneven weeks. So that's the headline. The combination of improving inflation outlook resulted in a week that's uneven, albeit positive performance in which cyclical and financial stocks rallied while technology, real estate, and utilities lagged. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 1.20%, while the S&P 500 rose 0.79%. The NASDAQ Composite Index increased 0.29% for the week, and the MSCI EFA Index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, added 2.08%. What does that mean for the Dow? The Dow closed at 33,886. That's up 2.23% for the year. NASDAQ closed at 12,123. That's up 15.83% for the year. Uh, MSCI EFA index closed at 2144. That's up a little over 10%, 10.33% for the year. Uh, and the S&P 500 closed at 4,137. That's up 7.77% for the year. The 10-year treasury note closed at 3.52%. So yields are increasing from last week. And then we've got a year-to-date uh, number of uh, down about 0.36%. Uh, so inflation's retreat, stocks uh, treaded water ahead of last week's inflation data and the start of a new earnings season. Stocks rallied on favorable uh, March consumer inflation report only to falter after the release of last month's FOMC meeting minutes, which hinted at a potential recession later this year. After reports of a more pronounced slowdown in producer prices on Thursday, stocks surged higher with technology and communication service companies leading the charge. A weak retail sales number on Friday shaved the gains to close out the week. So trending lower last week provided fresh insight into inflation, and the news was encouraging. The Consumer Price Index, or CPI, rose a very modest 0.1% in March, while the year-over-year increase in consumer prices was 5%. That's down from February's 12-month rise of 6%. Declines aided the March report in groceries, gasoline, medical care, and utilities. The read on supplier prices was even more positive. The Producer Price Index, or PPI, which many economists see as a signal of future consumer prices, declined 0.5%, the most significant monthly decline since 2020. The 12-month increase as of March was 2.7% and easing from February's year-over-year climb of 4.9%. So key economic data this week, Tuesday, housing starts, Thursday, jobless claims, existing home sales index of leading economic indicators, Friday, purchasing managers index or PMI, the composite flash number comes out this week, companies reporting earnings, just the notable ones, Monday, Charles Schwab Corporation M&T Bank Corp, uh, Tuesday, Netflix, Bank of America, Johnson Johnson, Lockheed Martin, the Goldman Sachs Group, Wednesday, Tesla, IBM, Lamb 
Research, Abbott Labs, Morgan Stanley, Bank Corp, U.S. Bank Corp, uh, United Airlines. Thursday, we've got AT&T, Blackstone, American Express, CSX Corp, Union Pacific, DR Horton, Truist Financial Corp. And then Friday, we've got Procter & Gamble, HCA Healthcare, Freeport, uh, Mac Moran, and then Regions Financial Corporation to round out the week. It's a very busy week in earnings. We'll get uh, quite a bit of information this week and over the next couple of weeks about 2023, how it's going basically. So yeah, there we go. Um, on to the next segment. We'll dive into a little more about the numbers. So I often read the American Association of Individual Investors, or also known as AAII. I've talked to the, about them on previous podcasts, but um, I do I don't always talk about the AAII Investor Survey, which I like a lot. It's a sentiment survey, and basically, stock market sentiment indicators are contrarian. And I've talked about that before. And, and being a contrarian, when you're being a, a, a good investor, uh, you should be paying attention to that and not just follow, having a herd mentality. But unusually low optimism is typically followed by above average returns. And unusually high optimism is typically followed by below average returns. That's what it means to be a stock market sentiment indicator contrarian. Okay. So not all these numbers add up to hundred percent if you were to add them up. So I just want to make a point of that, but I'm sourcing it from here. And I do read this um, because it surveys the, their entire uh, membership group. And uh, a lot of these members are professionals. Uh, the data represents what direction members feel the stock market will be in the next six months, in the next six months. And it, it, uh, they, they take this survey quite often, uh, via email and I've, I've, uh, actually participated in this thing. Um, but what's interesting is you've got, uh, February data, the week ending February 22nd, 2023, you have 21.6% of respondents being bullish, 39.8% of respondents being neutral and 38.6% of respondents being bearish. Bearish number of 38.6 went up to 44.8 by March 1st. Then it went back down to 41.7 by March 8th. And then by March 15th, that's up to 48.4%. So we're at the, the kind of the highest reading of, of bearishness of this survey, which was last uh, taken on and then published March 15th, um, 2023. So that means about, oh, 19.2% are bullish uh, and 32.4% are neutral. And you can kind of see that the neutral, see or hear, if you will, the neutral party kind of fluctuates out of being a bull or a bear. So it's a good sentiment survey. Historical uh, averages on this survey in this uh, journal, historical averages, one year bearish high uh, was the week ending of uh, September 21st, 2022. And that reading was at 60.9% of folks at the end of September of 22 were bearish. One year neutral high was uh, at the end of March of 2022. That's uh, March 30th, 2022. And that neutral signal was 40.6%. So that was the one year neutral high. And the one year 
bearish high was posted 37.5% were bullish. And that was the week ending on February 8th, 2023. So think about that for a second. The historical average for this long dated survey is uh, a, a bullishness of 37.5%, a neutral of 31.5%, and a bearish sense of things of 31.0%. So I find it interesting that a, that a one-year bullish high was posted February 8th of 23. So who knows what's coming, but usually when, when things are, people are starting to get bullish, uh, the next six months, there's some challenges to the market and it's followed typically by below average returns. So hmm, food for thought there. Okay. So the asset allocation survey, they have below the sentiment survey is always nice to go over as well. So February, 2023 stocks and stock funds above average for the 33rd consecutive month. Think about that 33rd consecutive month above average stock and stock fund, but asset allocation. So February of 2023, 65.7% of a portfolio is allocated to stock and stock funds. So that's above average for the 33rd consecutive month. Then you've got bonds and bond funds is below average for the 24th consecutive month. So for the last two years, February posting of 2023, folks had 14.9% in bonds and bond funds compared to 16% in bonds and bond funds as a uh, historical average. I may have forgotten to mention that the historical average for stocks is 61.5%. So think of 60, 40 portfolios. Interesting that in February, folks are 65.7% allocated to stock and stock funds. Okay, so here we go. Cash. This is uh, uh, February's posting in 2023. 19.4% of a portfolio, nearly 20% is in cash. Um, that's the smallest exposure to cash since May of 2022. So think about that. It's, it's almost the smallest exposure to cash in about a year. But in the in the recent months, in the last six, eight months, you've really seen people change on those views and start allocating more and more to bonds and cash. I, I wonder if in future sentiments and future readings of these surveys, you'll see some of the asset allocation shift back down to more towards their historical averages. So the historical average for cash is 22.5%. Um, in cash as far as um, model allocation. So um, there you go. April uh, 2023, that is your asset allocation survey of respondents in AAII investor survey space. And on to the next segment. So how will working affect social security benefits? It's a great question for those of you who are gonna be working while drawing social security. In a recent survey, 70% of current workers stated they plan to work for pay after retiring. And that possibility raises an interesting question. How will working affect Social Security benefits? The answer to that question requires an understanding of three key concepts. Full retirement age, the earnings test, and taxable benefits. So again, full retirement age, the earnings test, and taxable benefits. Full retirement age. Most workers don't face an official retirement date, according to Social Security Administration. 
The Social Security program allows workers to start receiving benefits as soon as they reach the age of 62 or to put off receiving benefits until the age of 70. Full retirement age is the age at which individuals become eligible to receive 100% of their Social Security benefits. Individuals born in 1960 or later can receive 100% of their benefits at age 67. Earnings test. Starting Social Security benefits before reaching full retirement age brings into play the earnings test. If a working individual starts receiving Social Security payments before full retirement age, the Social Security Administration will deduct $1 in benefits for each $2 that a person earns above an annual limit. In 2023, the income limit is $21,240. During the year in which a worker reaches full retirement age, Social Security benefit reduction falls to $1 in benefits for every $3 in earnings. For 2023, the limit is $56,000. $520 before the month the worker reaches full retirement age. For example, let's assume a worker begins receiving Social Security benefits during the year he or she reaches full retirement. In that year before the month the worker reaches full retirement age, the worker earns $65,000. The Social Security benefit would be reduced as follows. Earnings above annual $65,000 minus $56,520 equals $8,480. One third excess, okay, so one third excess is $8,480 divided by three equals $2,827. In this case, the worker's annual Social Security benefit would have been reduced by $2,827 because they are continuing to work. So keep that in mind. Taxable benefits, that's the third one. Once you reach full retirement age, Social Security benefits will not be reduced no matter how much you earn. However, Social Security benefits are taxable. For example, say you file a joint return and you, uh, and, you and your spouse are past the full retirement age. In the joint return, you report a combined income of between $32,000 and $44,000. You may have to pay income tax on as much as 50% of your benefits. If your combined income is more than 44,000, as much as 85% of your benefits may be subject to income taxes. There are many factors to consider when evaluating Social Security benefits. Understanding how working may affect total benefits can help you put together a strategy that allows you to make the most of your retirement income sources, including Social Security. If you have a question about the topic, feel free to reach out to us at Northbound Wealth Management, 317-399-1107. On to the next subject. Hey, everybody. Brent Foster, founder and CEO of Northbound Wealth Management. So um, what to do when your income reaches seven figures? Okay. So did you recently add a second comment to your bank balance? Has a recent financial event raised your net worth to the next level? It's an exciting time, whether it's the result of long-term goals. So for example, the sale of a business, a windfall, transfer of wealth, or a key promotion. You're probably already considering how to protect and manage your wealth. So keep in mind that uh, this bit is for informational purposes only and 
It's not a replacement for real life advice. Consult tax, legal, and accounting professionals before modifying your financial strategies as your income changes. This bit I put together just to provide insights on a few related factors you may want to consider if your income reaches seven figures. So um, you may already have an estate strategy in place. However, reaching a new level of wealth may be an excellent time to revisit your approach. Um, more wealth can mean larger estate and more complex estate issues. For example, it may be time to consider a living trust. You create a living trust while alive and fund it with the assets you choose to transfer therein. The trustee, typically you, has full power to manage these assets, but using a trust involves a complex set of tax rules and regulations. So before moving forward with the trust, consider working with a professional familiar with the relevant rules and regulations. Um, you may want to pace yourself. So many newly wealthy individuals feel like they're in a rush once they have their money. Now that the world is your oyster, you may be better off waiting for the pearl. This means getting accustomed to your new bank balance before putting the money to any practical effect. Uh, a few conversations with a financial professional regarding your ambitions may help put things into perspective. For example, Northbound Wealth Management Yours truly, Brent Foster right here. Uh, let's have the conversation. Uh, what you need today. So your new wealth will create as many questions as it will opportunities. For example, if you've sold your business or are considering leaving your job, you will need to consider health insurance choices for yourself and your household. Other household demands may also warrant consideration from travel costs to big one-time purchases, you will most certainly face some unplanned expenses along the way. So be sure that your short-term budget makes an allowance for that. And then uh, evaluating risk tolerance and your time horizon again. Your risk tolerance will be affected in part by your ongoing day-to-day -day needs. For example, if you're considering buying a new home, money may need to be earmarked for all expenses related to that purchase. The risk takes into account not only the home itself, but also your overall strategy. Uh, the time horizon determines the lengths of times considered for your various expenditures. Some unexpected ex expenses may happen within a few months while others can be put off for up to a year. Congratulations on that second comma being a part of your everyday life. It will mean many exciting things for you and your household, some of which you've prepared for and others you might not have anticipated. A trusted financial professional in your corner may provide answers to your questions along the way. And uh, I just want to make this statement. If you're bad with money when you don't have it and you happen to get it, then you're going to be bad with money when you actually have money. So it only magnifies whatever um, problems that you have with money right now. So if you end up uh, being disciplined with money and really smart and shrewd and prudent with money, being a good steward with money, when you don't have it, then when you do have it, you're more likely to be disciplined when you do have it. As I've seen over 18 years plus of, of money management and personal finance and financial planning, more money, more problems, more responsibilities. But on the flip side of that, if you know how to manage those, the additional responsibility of having it, it can be a real blessing to the world, the community, and to you, yourself, your family, if you are a good steward and manage it well and have good advisors uh, to hold you accountable. Accountability is probably one of the biggest things. So thanks for listening this week. Have a great weekend and we'll talk to you soon.